The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From the eternal city of Rome, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, ear lover, Georgianologist, and Bison, Michael Ian Black, speaking to you from my OK apartment in the Trust. Tavere, Trestavere section of Rome. Uh, we arrived a little less than a week ago and instantly, uh, instantly looked at each other and said, What the hell are we doing here? <laughs> As you do, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we're just like, What the fuck are we doing? And, you know, the, the anxiety, uh, I shouldn't say the first thing we did. The first thing we did, we basically lost a day of, you know, we just slept. But then once we woke up and looked around and blinked our eyes, we were like, what the fuck are we doing? And there's just so much anxiety around it. Now, my recent mental degradation certainly hasn't helped things at all. It has spread to Martha and her, her you know, breakdown manifests itself in anxiety and then her anxiety goes back to me and then my anxiety triggers her depression and her depression triggers mine. It's been great. So the first like real full day we were here, we were just like, what the fuck? You know, and then the next day we both went our separate ways for a little while. I went to do a little work. She went to do whatever she was doing. We came back and I remember walking back through the city and thinking to myself, my God, this is gorgeous. Like, like there's just, there's just not a more beautiful city on earth, at least that I've seen than this Roma, and you have to admire the Italian commitment to public art. It is something we sorely lack in the United States 
of Amerigo because I, we just, just, uh, you know, since we got here, I'm going to, I'm going to finish the sentence in a moment, but since we got here a week ago, it's impossible not to constantly make comparisons between, let's say, the Italian way of doing things and the American way of doing things, Italian values versus American values. And really, you could, you could extend it to basically Western European values in general. And I am so much more aligned genetically with European values than I am with American values. And so, of course, you know, we get here and we're thinking to ourselves, well, why the fuck, why go back? What's back, what's back there for us, really? I mean, yeah, we have kids, but whatever. So I don't know, you know, we're, we're here, we're, you know, after the initial anxiety wore off a bit, we've started to enjoy ourselves a bit. Tomorrow, we're going to rent a car and go up to a CC and look around there and look around Umbria and up in the, the hills and the, you know, the gorgeous scenery and all of that. I mean, it's it's been... You know, it's been everything. It's been it, it, we've only been here a week, like I said, but it's it's already had its challenges and it's had its nice moments. And fortunately, Martha and I are getting along well because here in our okay apartment, which is not very spacious, it would be difficult if we were uh, to come to blows over something because then we would just have to look at each other because the, ha- the 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 apartment is you know it's on the small side. The appetite has not quite returned. So I'm probably going to be the only American who comes to Italy and loses weight. But, you know, what are you going to do? Being abroad, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you have, most of you have experienced this this feeling of just, you know, that slight difference that is just everywhere. You know what I mean? Just that's like everything's just like three degrees off from where you're used to living. You know, just three degrees. And uh, that that part, I think, probably takes a little while to sort of wear away. Like Martha bought these vanilla wafer cookies. You know those little cheesy cookies you get at uh, supermarkets? And they usually come in either vanilla, chocolate, or strawberry. Just like the cheapest wafer cookies you can get, right? And they're abs- and I love them. They're delicious. It's just like eating, it's like eating, it's like eating a, a, a ice cream cone filled with sugar. And you just eat that and you, and you say, oh man, those are good. I get I get to have 50 of those. So Martha bought a package of those and the flavor was just different enough, like three degrees off where I was like, this isn't good at all, you know, because I was expecting one thing and then I get a slightly different thing and immediately dismiss it. Um, I forgot what point I was supposed to come back to, of course, but I will say, I think it was something about the American commitment to commerce versus the European commitment to life. It becomes very clear, you know, as soon as you leave the U.S., that we're just deeply fucked up. Like, we just are. We're just a deeply fucked up country, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And part of me is like, well, well, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, what? Like, why? Why do I want to put myself through that? Like, every country has its problems. Every country has its shit. But it seems like, as an expat living abroad, you can kind of live at a slight remove from, you know, the internal machinations of government and whatever your adopted country is. I mean, obviously, you still have to deal with it, but but I don't know, you're looking at it from a remove a little bit. And then you can also look at your home from a little bit of a move, and you don't have to get quite as invested in, you know, let's say the white Christian nationalists who are desperately trying to take over our country. 
So, I don't know. If Wuthering Heights took place over here in Europe, you'd be confused because you'd be like, well, why are they such assholes? You know, but because it takes place in America, you're like, well, that makes sense, you know. Last time on Wuthering Heights, Lockwood showed up after uh, several months, let's say, back at the place that he was renting. And he came up from London over there at the Thrushcross Grange. He surprised the lady. He's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out. I'm the master here. I'm going to hang out. She's like, who the hell are you? Uh, there's no bed. There's nothing for you to, 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 to sleep on. He's just like, just give me a good fire and some dry sheets and I'm all set, sister, because uh, I'm going to head over to Wuthering Heights, and which he did for reasons that aren't entirely clear. And, and then here's where we left it. It was an interesting point, and that's why I left it where I left it. Uh, he said he entered and looked and listened in consequence being moved thereto by a mingled sense of curiosity and envy that grew as I lingered. So he's listening to the residents of Wuthering Heights, and for some reason they're saying or doing something that provokes in him both curiosity and envy, and there is nothing that has ever taken place in this house up to this point that would lead us to envy. That's where we left it. So we're going to find out what the hell he was so envious about as we pick it up, chapter 32 of Wuthering Heights. Contrary, said a voice as sweet as a silver bell, that for the third time, you dunce, well, that doesn't sound as sweet as a silver bell, I'm not going to tell you again, recollect or I pull your hair. Contrary, then, answered another, in deep but softened tones, and now kiss me for minding so well. No, read it over first correctly without a single mistake. The male speaker began to read, is this Hareton? Have, have Hareton and Kathy fallen in love? Is that, is that possible? He was a young man, res oh no, I guess not, respectably dressed and seated at a table having a book before him. Maybe it is. His handsome features glowed with pleasure, and his eyes kept impatiently wandering from the page to a small white hand over his shoulder, which recalled him by a smart slap on the cheek whenever its owner detected such signs of inattention. Its owner stood behind, her light shining ringlets blending at intervals with his brown locks as she bent to superintend his studies. And her face, it was lucky he could not see her face or he would never have been so steady. I could, and I bit my lip in spite at having thrown away the chance I might have had of doing something besides staring at its smiting Beauty, well, it sounds like Kathy Jr. has found some happiness at last. Now, he has not yet revealed the identity of the young man, but I think we're all hoping it's Hareton Earnshaw, who, ha who maybe has now blossomed into a sterling young student, a lover of reading, a lover of letters, of poetry and grammar. Who knows? Let's see who it is. The task was done not free from further blunders, but the pupil claimed a reward and received at least five kisses, which, however, he generously returned. Then they came to the door, and from their conversation, I judged they were about to issue out 
and have a walk on the moors. Not a ramble, mind you, a walk, which is a, a slightly more elevated form of ambulation. I don't know if ambulation is a word, but it should be. God damn it, now I gotta look it up. Is ambulation a word? All right, research machine. Ambulation. Yes, yes, it is It is a word. The ability to walk without the need of any kind of assistance. Very good. Nice job, Michael. Nice job, research machine. Uh, they have a walk on the moors. I suppose I should be condemned in Hareton Earnshaw's heart, if not by his mouth, to the lowest pit in the infernal regions, if I showed my unfortunate person in his neighborhood then, and feeling very mean and malignant, I skulked round to seek refuge in the kitchen. Why? I suppose I should be condemned in Hareton Earnshaw's heart. Why? Why does Hareton Earnshaw give a shit about Lockwood? In fact, I feel like Lockwood was trying to help him out, doing a solid the last time he saw him, uh, by trying to uh, ease his humiliation from apparently now his lover. There was unobstructed admittance on that side also, and at the door sat my old friend Nellie Dean, sewing and singing a song, which was often interrupted from within by harsh words of scorn and intolerance uttered in from my music oh, from musical accents. Or'd rather but a half have him swearing in my logs from morn to neat, nor harken ya hasiver said the tenant of the kitchen in answer to an unheard speech of Nellie's. It's a blazing shame, or I could not open to blissed book, but you set up them glories to satin, and all to flay some wickedness out ever warp in eternal world. Oh, you're all right now, and shoes another, and that poor lad'll be lost to chain you. Poor lad, he added, with a groan. He is witched, I'm certain on it. Oh, Lord, judge him. For there's neither law nor justice among the rulers. Well, it sounds like Joseph is getting his comeuppance because they've turned their back on the Bible. I'd rather by half have them swearing in my ears from morning to night, nor hear you howsoever. I'm not even sure what that means, and that's in that's that's understandable. It's a blazing shame that I cannot open the blessed book without your setting up those glories to Satan and all the awful wickedness that ever was born into the world. Oh, you're a real naught, and she's another. And that poor lad will be lost between you. Poor lad. He's bewitched, I'm certain of it. Oh, Lord, judge them, for there's neither law nor justice among our earthly rulers. So he's got to pull up his butt about... The fact that he had such a profound influence on Hareton Earnshaw practically raised the boy, and we saw the results of that. And now, apparently, Hareton Earnshaw has turned his back on Joseph and his biblical teachings in favor of Satan and Kathy Jr. and Mrs. Dean. And who can blame him? Given the choice between Joseph and anything else... I think we would all choose anything else, particularly a hot young thing and her love. I mean, yeah, it's just great. It's great. It, 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 I mean, look, we're not done yet, obviously. We don't know what happened to Heathcliff. We don't know anything. But, but suddenly, Wuthering Heights seems to be a happy home. 
How did that happen? How could that be? Perhaps Mrs. Nellie Dean will recollect the story for us as we finish up, and we will find out in a moment when we return here on Obscure. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, my Italian has improved immeasurably since I've gotten here a week ago insofar as I had none, and now I have a little bit more than none, which is, I know, about three or four words and a couple of phrases. Il gioco della donna, the game of the weasel. That's the first thing I learned. A critical phrase when you're here. You gotta know how to say the game of the weasel. Well, that's how you say it. Il gioco della donna. So Joseph is just gotten done screaming or whatever and uh and he says no or we should be sitting in flaming faggots i suppose retorted the singer but wished old man and read your bible like a christian and never mind me this is fairy annie's wedding a bonny tune it goes to a dance miss dean was about to recommence when i advanced and recognizing me directly she jumped to her feet crying why bless you mr lockwood how could you think of returning in this way? All shut up at Thrushcross Grange. You should have given us notice. I've arranged to be accommodated there for as long as I shall stay, I answered. I depart again tomorrow. And how are you transplanted here, Mrs. Dean? Tell me that. Zilla left, and Mr. Heathcliff wished me to come soon after you went to London and stay till you returned. But step in, pray. Have you walked from Gimmerton this evening? from the Grange, I replied, and while they make me lodging there, I want to finish my business with your master, because I don't think of having another opportunity in a hurry. What business, sir, said Nelly, conducting me into the house. He's gone out at present and won't return soon. About the rent, I answered. Oh, then it is with Mrs. Heathcliff you must settle, she observed, or rather with me. 
She has not learned to manage her affairs yet, and I act for her. There's nobody else. I looked surprised. Ah, you have not heard of Heathcliff's death, I see, she continued. Heathcliff's dead, I exclaimed, astonished. How long ago? Three, <laughs> how long ago? Terrible reading. Just terrible. Just terrible acting, let us call it. Reminding me of a story that maybe some of you have heard, because it, it, it makes its way on the internet every now and again, a story regarding Matthew Damon and John Malkovich while shooting the movie Rounders. And uh, they'd been waiting, I guess, for quite a while for Malkovich to show up. They were all excited. I mean, they, you know, because you don't shoot a movie in order. And, you know, some guys, in, in, you know, they come in like a month, two months into the shooting. So Malkovich comes in a couple months into the shooting. And everybody's all excited because John fucking Malkovich is there, you know. And Damon sits down and Malkovich sits down. And they say action. And uh, Damon says his line. And then, and then according to Damon, Malkovich does something like, Pay the man his money. Like horrible, you know, horrible reading. And Damon is like, what the fuck is this? And the crew, I guess, applauds because it's Malkovich or whatever. And then Malkovich leans into Damon and says, I'm a terrible actor. And that is how I feel all the time. That being said, Malkovich is a terrific actor. And I actually am kind of a terrible actor. Uh... Three months since, but sit down and let me take your hat and I'll tell you all about it. Stop. You've had nothing to eat, have you? See, I told you, she was going to tell us all about it. I mean, you know, that's just that's just the way it has to be, isn't it? It's got to be Mrs. Dean. She, I mean, she told us 90% of the book. She might as well tell us the rest. Um, I want nothing. I've ordered supper at home. You sit down too. I never dreamt of his dying. Let me hear how it came to pass. You say you don't expect them back for some time. The young people? No, I have to scold them every evening for their late rambles. <laughs> but they don't care for me. At least have a drink of our old ale. It will do you good. You seem weary. She hastened to fetch it before I could refuse, and I heard Joseph asking whether it weren't a crying scandal that she should have fellies at her time of life, and then to get them jocks out of to Maester's cellar. A fair sham to bide still and see it. <sighs> I heard Joseph asking, is it a crying scandal that she should have fellows at her time of life? She's like, what, 19 or something? Wasn't it a crying scandal that she should have fellows at her time of life? And then to fetch those jugs out of the master's cellar, he was ashamed to sit still and see it. All right. I'm not, we're not quite sure what she's talking about, but so be it. She did not stay to retaliate, but re-entered in a minute, bearing a reaming silver pint. Reaming. I never heard reaming used in that context. Reaming. Let's see what that means. Reaming. Widen. Okay. That reamed him out. Yeah, I know that one. With a fan has a small enough hole to be reamed out to the correct size. Huh. Not sure what that's all about. But let's just say a big old cup of something. She's got a, a big old heaping cup of something. Uh, as, as you do out there in the hollers where this takes place. Uh, silver pint whose contents I lauded with becoming earnestness. 
and afterwards she furnished me with the sequel of Heathcliff's history. He had a queer end, as she expressed it. Oh, so this is Mrs. Dean talking now. Uh, how much time do we have? Yeah, we have plenty of time. Okay. I was summoned to Wuthering Heights within a fortnight of your leaving us, she said, and I obeyed joyfully for Catherine's sake. My first interview with her grieved and shocked me. She had altered so much since our separation. Mr. Heathcliff did not explain his reasons for taking a new mind about my coming here. He only told me he wanted me, and he was tired of seeing Catherine. I must make the little parlor my sitting room and keep her with me. It was enough if he were obliged to see her once or twice a day. She seemed pleased at this arrangement, and by degrees I smuggled over a great number of books and other articles that had formed her amusement at the Grange, and flattered myself we should get on in tolerable comfort. The delusion did not last long. Catherine, contented at first, in a brief space grew irritable and restless. For one thing, she was forbidden to move out of the garden, and it fretted her sadly to be confined to its narrow bounds. As spring drew on, for another, in following the house, I was forced to quit her frequently, and she complained of loneliness. She preferred quarreling with Joseph in the kitchen to sitting at peace in her solitude. I did not mind their skirmishes, but Hareton was often obliged to seek the kitchen also when the master wanted to have the house to himself. And though in the beginning she either left it at his approach or quietly joined in my occupations and shunned remarking or addressing him, and though he was always as sullen and silent as possible, after a while she changed her behavior and became incapable of letting him alone, talking at him, commenting on his stupidity and idleness, expressing her wonder how he could endure the life he lived, how he could sit a whole evening, staring into the fire and dozing. He's just like a dog, is he not, Ellen? She once observed, or a cart horse. He does his work, eats his food, and sleeps eternally. What a blank, dreary mind he must have. Do you ever dream, Hareton? And if you do, what is it about? But you can't speak to me. Then she looked at him, but he would neither open his mouth nor look again. He's perhaps dreaming now, she continued. He twitched his shoulders as oh he twitched his he twitched his shoulder as Juno twitches hers. Ask him, Ellen. Mr. Hareton will ask the master to send you upstairs if you don't behave, I said. He had not only twitched his shoulder, but clenched his fist, as if tempted to use it. I know why Hareton never speaks when I am in the kitchen, she exclaimed on another occasion. He's afraid I shall laugh at him. Ellen, what do you think? He began to teach himself to read once, and because I laughed, he burned his books and dropped it. Was he not a fool? Were you not naughty, I said. Answer me that. Perhaps I was, she went on. But I did not expect him to be so silly. Hareton, if I gave you a book, would you take it now? I'll try. She placed one she'd been perusing on his hand. He flung it off and muttered, if she did not give over, he would break her neck. My, my. Well, I shall put it here, she said, in the table drawer, and I'm going to bed. So what do you think it is that has... 
uh, softened Kathy Jr.'s heart. Because she, I mean, she went from loathing him uh, to deriding him and mocking him and scorning him to, for some reason, showing him some warmth and generosity. What has changed? Is it just loneliness? Because it's, it's a little strange, is it not, that Kathy has only met, so far as we know, two males of her age, both of them her cousins, both of them her lovers. Now that I find a little odd, do you not? I mean, if you can look past the marrying your first cousin thing, which I can, I, I have no problem with that, uh, but she's really only met two dudes and she fell in love with both of them? Seems a little strange. She's got a big heart, I guess. I guess she met Lockwood, too. She met Lockwood, didn't care for him, but she was, you know, she was in a, she was in a, in a rough spot back then. I, it, look, we don't, we never, I mean, we never wanted her to get with Lockwood to begin with because we know Lockwood is a scamp, right? He was a scamp to that gal in London and he was going to be a scamp to Kathy Jr., but it would have been nice because he would have removed her from that environment. But now Heathcliff's dead and that's the best solution of all. A little convenient, but okay. Then she whispered me to watch whether he touched it and departed, but he would not come near it. And so I informed her in the morning to her great disappointment. I saw she was sorry for his persevering sulkiness and indolence. Her conscience reproved her for frightening him of improving himself. She had done it effectually. But her ingenuity was at work to remedy the injury. While I ironed or pursued other stationary employments I could not well do in the parlor, she would bring some pleasant volume and read it aloud to me. When Hareton was there, she generally paused in an interesting part and left the book lying about. That she did repeatedly, but he was as obstinate as a mule, and instead of snatching at her bait, in wet weather he took to smoking with Joseph, and they sat like automatons, one on each side of the fire, the elder happily too deaf to understand her wicked nonsense as he would have called it, the younger doing his best to seem to disregard it. On fine evenings the latter followed his shooting expeditions, and Catherine yawned and sighed, and teased me to talk to her, and ran off into the quarter garden the moment I began, and as a last resource, cried and said she was tired of living, her life was useless. So we'll stop there. Um, yeah, she's looking for connection to somebody her age, and she's got it right in front of her, but she so badly damaged that relationship that she doesn't know how to recover. Now, of course, this is all reflection, so we know that she eventually does recover and they become very happy together. But yeah, a curious turn of events, and I have to admit, somewhat unsatisfying. You know, I was not necessarily looking for a happy ending here. You can't take me 300 pages through uh, the trenches as, I, as I've been drubbed you know, we've all just been drugged through the trenches here. 
with this whole sordid family escapade and then to turn on a dime and be like, oh, and hey, Heathcliff's dead, uh, you know, Wicked Witch is dead, we can ring the bells, everybody's happy. Seems very odd to me, just as an ending, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a satisfactory ending to this tale. Now, we're not there yet. We're not quite at the end, but we're certainly racing on up to it. And uh, I don't know. I find myself disappointed. I mean, do I want Kathy Jr. to be happy? Sure. Do I want Hareton to be happy? Of course. Happy together? Does it make sense? I don't know. Do I want Heathcliff to be dead? I mean, he died off screen. It's like, what? What's What's happening? I don't know. Something, something's not uh, sitting right with me here. Maybe my expectations got ahead of me and I'm just not accepting it for what it is. <sighs> Much like my trip to Italy, you know, the expectation is they get ahead of you. And then you show up someplace and you're like, wait, do I like this? I don't know. Haven't had any gelato yet, which is a first for me in Europe. Usually when I go to Europe, first thing I do is I just stick my head in a tub of gelato. But this time, nothing, you know, just because, you know, we have this thing in our bodies called ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. You know, ghrelin is is the thing that goes, oh, you're hungry, you're hungry. For some reason, I don't have a working ghrelin at the moment. So I go from, as I think I've said before, not being hungry at all to feeling sick to my stomach because I haven't eaten anything with no... Uh, intermediary ghrelin going, hey, buddy, you better eat something. So it's been, uh, that's been frustrating. Um, On the other hand, last night as I was going to bed, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm hungry, which is the first time I'd thought that in a while. Did I get up and get something to eat? Nah, too lazy, but it's nice. It was nice to feel hungry. Today, not so much, but you know, maybe it's getting better. Maybe all things are getting better for me, for Kathy, for Hareton, for Mrs. Dean, for Lockwood, for all of us, you included, dear listeners, you especially, dear listeners, I want nothing more for you than happiness. And it is profound how difficult happiness can be to sustain. But when you're able to, for short periods, life does feel worth living, does it not? And that is what I want to leave you with today. A little bit of optimism, a little bit of sunlight, a little bit of love as we ramble along these final pages of Wuthering Heights. Let us take our time. Let us hold hands together. Let us enjoy them. Let us sniff the wildflowers and remember what it means to be an American. Ah. <sighs> Or at least what it used to mean back when Weathering Heights was written. So we'll leave it there, as I said. We'll pick it up next time on another uh, Fortunato episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you arrivederci. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. If you listen and like this show, please help us out with a rating and a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks.